All right, so uh, we're going to jump in to uh, Mark chapter 10. Now, today, and just so you guys know with all of that, uh, if you meet someone that speaks Spanish or just Spanish or whatever, uh, we have that every time at 10 o'clock. So uh, you have something to invite them to. Every Sunday we gather, kids, everybody gathers, and then we sing, and then we go to uh, whatever might fit whether it's a language or age thing, to be able to hear the word. So just know that's available if you find somebody in the community. We're also, uh, I don't know if you already just took the offering, but we'll bring the offering up. Uh, I haven't noticed that yet, so I want to go ahead and present that. And just remind you always that what you're giving to is for us to establish and bring to pass the mission we've been praying for and talking about for the last several weeks and been working towards for the last several months. So just asking the Lord uh, to grant us some of the visions that we have for like the City Light Center or for the things we can do missionally in the community. That's what we want to see happen, see pass. So uh, just constantly putting that in front of you, that's what we're giving to, that's what we're doing. Today's our last day of our Core Values series. This is week number seven. And next week, I'm excited uh, to announce that we're going to be starting Luke. So we're going to go through Luke starting next week, and it's going to be basically like uh, Advent to Easter kind of thing. Uh, we're going to break the whole book of Luke down into four sections and do four different series. But basically from Advent, starting next week, all the way through Easter, from the birth to the death and resurrection, we're going to spend some time in Luke. And there's some really, really uh, unique things to Luke's gospel that I'm excited to jump in. What I'm also excited about is we have gotten a great deal from ESV, and they make these little Bible study journals for each book of the Bible. So uh, you have a, a book of the Bible. On one side is the text. On the other side is just lines for you to journal in. Uh, and they gave us a killer deal, and so we were able to buy copies for everybody. So next week, uh, when you come in, you're going to get one of those. And we want you to take it, keep it, bring it back, and start marking it up. So one of the things we're going to talk about consistently here is this isn't just a time to teach you the Bible, but I want to help teach you how to read the Bible for yourself. It would be more profitable for you to go spend time with God six days than to hear a good sermon. So the idea being that the sermon is the cherry on top, the actual ice cream and the sustenance and the thing that's actually there for you is your own time with God. So one of the things we want to do best during this time isn't just have me deliver something or someone else that's gifted to teach deliver a message that's helpful for you. Hopefully that is what we do. But we want to walk through it, especially when we're going through a book of the Bible, in a way that equips you with principles by which you can study the Bible on your own. So we're having these things, we're gifting those little books to you, and we really want you to invest in that. So we're going to talk more about that next week, but just heads up, when you come through, grab one of those books, we're going to be jumping into Luke. So today, uh, our last one is We Are Servants First. Uh, let's go over all seven. Hopefully some of y'all have this known by now. Number one, shout number one. Who knows number one? We're all about Jesus. Good. Number two, dependent on prayer. Good. Number three, we're occupied by the word. Good. Number four, oh, wait, you're cheating. If you don't let them cheat, hold on. Y'all didn't even say nothing to me. A bunch of cheaters. Okay. Don't put the next one up. Wait. We are, what's number five? We are alive in the world. Thank you. How'd you have it on there? That's all right. That's all right. Uh, number six, we did this last week. We are all in this together. Great. Awesome. And then today is we are servants first. So as we said, every week, the reason we're doing this core value series is just to get all of us on the same page 
so that we can be working towards the same goal, so that we can be unified in what we understand, what we believe, what we are about. The God has given us a particular mission. He's given the church a mission that everybody should jump on called making disciples, taking the gospel to the world. But each church God brings to pass, he has created uniquely for that community, that city, that group of people with a particular vision to do it in a very practical way. And so when we talk about these seven values, uh, these are core to us and who we are. It's also core, obviously, to the scriptures. So once again, if you missed one, we have a podcast, City Light Church. We have a YouTube channel, City Light Church. It's on Facebook Live. I think the last three or four are at least, and forever on they will be. Uh, they'll be up there, so if you missed one, grab it. Uh, not just to hear the sermon, but to get on the same page with everybody else. So that's why that would be important for us to do that. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, so today, uh, we're going to be in Mark 10, but I want to read one uh, scripture to you real quick. You can go ahead and turn there if you want to find it. I'm going to put on the scriptures. It says this, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. This is how one should regard us. So the reason, if you've seen anybody wear a City Light t-shirt, we use the word servant leader instead of volunteer very intentionally to create that in us constantly to be reminded when we use language about what are we doing, when you see somebody wearing a t-shirt, the idea is we constantly want to remind each other, remind ourselves, we ought to be regarded as servants. No matter what we're doing, no matter what our position, servant is our position, servant is our posture, servant is our title for everybody. This is why we are all servant leaders. This is how we think about ourselves. This is how we are, as the verse says, regarded. And what's important about this is this is how we expect to be treated. This will change the game for you already if you walk around expecting to be treated like a servant. Then you, when you're treated like a servant, you won't be offended. What do you expect? You're a servant. What do people do? Walk over you. Treat you un unhealthy. Treat you in ways that aren't. Now, I'm not saying that's okay, right? I'm not saying people should just do things like whatever. Everybody do whatever they want to me. Of course, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying, and what's going to help this body be healthy, is if we all have the mindset of a servant. I no longer feel like entitled or any of those things. I expect to be treated like a servant is treated, and I'm not surprised when that comes across the wrong way. That means I'm not easily offended. We are regarded as a servant. Therefore, I expect to be treated like a servant. And if we take that mindset alone and begin to apply it into our lives, even in this body, but when you go to work or whatever, if you say, to everyone I meet, I am your servant. I posture myself beneath you, no matter who you are, no matter if I respect you or not. I posture myself because of Jesus beneath you in a way to serve you then I'm not going to be as offended or as frustrated with other people when they treat me like a servant. And that's something we want to build in here. So you see here, number one, uh, that servants aren't offended. The second quick thing before we get to Mark 10, you see from this text, is that servants aren't owners, they borrow. Servants borrow, they don't own. Look at this. We are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So to be a servant is to, one, be regarded as a servant, to be treated like that. That's my title. No matter what you are in this church, we're servant leaders. We are servants, servants, servants. That's how we expect to be treated. The second thing is servants aren't owners. They're borrowers. We are stewards of the mysteries of God. 
we borrow from God what he's given us to be a good steward of. We borrow not only the mission of God from God, the truth of God from God, we borrow our breath from God. We borrow our possessions from God. We borrow our skills and our gifts and our talents from God. We are stewards, not owners. You and I own nothing, literally nothing. We are not owners, we're borrowers. And the more we begin to think like borrowers, like stewards, the more we're going to use our resources and gifts and talents and abilities as God has designed us to use them, the more freely we're going to give them away. Paul says we are stewards of the mysteries of God. I just want you to think real quick how you are or how you act when someone else gives you something important for you to take care of. So whether that's somebody's dog, you know, and they're like, can you sit my dog for a week? You're like, no. And then they're like, yeah, I need you to do it. Please, 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 please. But, you know, eventually you say yes. Now you have a dog in your house, and now you're treating it differently. It's someone else's. Or when I think about getting in the car and, like, let's say one of my kid's cousins or friends get in the car, too, I just think a little differently. Obviously, I want to drive safe for my own kids, but they're my kids. And so when you have someone else's kids in the car, you just think differently. Like, it's not my kid. You're more careful. You're more cautious. You're thinking more about, man, I'm borrowing something from somebody. Or when I, last night, my uh, I, the four-year-old had made a little, I don't know, he called it a Raphael. It was a little mask for a Ninja Turtle. Uh, didn't look like one at all, but that's what he had called it, and it was out of these little build-a-block things. I don't know. Okay, anyways. So at the end, he, he like sits at dinner. He's like, focus. It's amazing. He's doing good. He finishes it, and then he hands it to me, and he's like, here, take care of it. And I know, I know that now this is the most valuable possession I've ever owned at this point. I know that this is the most important thing in the world, more important than the keys in my pocket that get to the car that get us home. And more important than that is for him to have this thing, and when he says, hey, can I have it back, to be given it back in one piece, just as he made it. This is super important. Why do I feel that way? Because I'm stewarding something that's important to someone else. And now when we think about our lives, when you think about what your life is meant to be and to do, primarily you are a borrower, we are stewards, God has given us something that's his and asked us to do well with it. And personally, it might be your gifts, resources, talents, experience, your life. But then for us corporately as a church, it's this church, this body, this mission field, this group of people. This is a gift. This is something we are stewarding. So we're not owners, we're borrowers. And that's why I want us to think as this says, hey, we're stewards of the mysteries of God. This is, uh, it's not delicate, right? It can't break. The gospel truth is powerful, but it is important, and it's something we should deal with carefully, something we should use wisely, something we should not take for granted. So when you think about our church life and being a steward, that's what I want you to picture is God has given you something and you're borrowing it, and eventually you have to give it back. And the question really for us is, in what condition are we going to give it back to God? In what condition are you going to give your gift back to God? In what condition are you going to give your resources back to God? In what condition are you going to give your life, your whole life? What is its condition when you give it back to God? In what condition are we going to give this church when we got to give it back to God? We're borrowing this church, we're borrowing this gifts, we're borrowing everything that we have. So the question for many of us is, how are we treating it, and in what condition are we going to give it back? We are servants. We are servants. So I want you to look at Mark 10, 
I love this little story. So that the principles there come from 1 Corinthians 4.1, but this story gives us like a, a narrative, a story about how Jesus deals with a couple guys when they don't act like servants and what he does with them and how he teaches and corrects them. So we're going to learn a lot from this today. We're going to spend the rest of our time in Mark 10, verses 35 through 45. So let me read it for us. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. So hilarious. If you're reading, if you're just thinking while you read the Bible, you're going to stop and be like, that's a dumb, wow. These people are, ooh, I can't imagine, you know, you walk up to somebody and just ask me, I want, hey, before I ask you, I just want you to go ahead and say yes. Whatever I want you to do. And he said to them, Jesus being Jesus, hey, okay, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, all right, grant us to sit, one at your right hand, one at your left, in your glory. They want to be the top dogs in the kingdom of God. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. They're not, by the way. That's, this is what we do. You go, yeah, sure, I can. That's like, you're uh, and Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. The baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. So all the hard stuff. But the glory isn't mine to give. <laughs> That's basically what he says. I can guarantee you all the suffering, but I'm not, not guaranteeing anything. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant. It is for those to whom it has been prepared. So now when the ten heard it, twelve disciples, there's ten others that weren't part of this conversation. They heard about it or they overheard it or whatever. They began to be indignant at James and John, just like we would. Like, what are you guys doing? You know, who do you think you are? Those types of questions. We're going to kick you guys out. There's ten of us and two of you. They're thinking like this. So Jesus knows this. He sees it. He knows what's going on in their heads. And he calls them all together. You know, like when your kids are fighting, like, hey, everybody, you know, come here. Let me deal with this. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But here's the sentence you should remember for the rest of your life. But it shall not be so among you. The world acts one way, but not so with you. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be a slave of all. Why? For even the Son of Man, God himself, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we're going to start at the beginning and work our way through. There's basically four categories, I think, to this text. It's the approach, the ask, the answer, and the action. So the approach, the first thing, how do they approach? Going back to this thing we realized, teacher, verse 35, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And as we mentioned quickly, there's a real sense of entitlement here. Their, the approach is coming from a heart of entitlement. They thought, some commentaries believe, they thought that Jesus was going to go ahead and go to Jerusalem and take over right away. Even though, as he's done multiple times, he explicitly tells them, I'm going to die. They just don't listen to that. They don't understand it. They don't think it. They think he's going to go, he's going to whoop everybody, and he's going to take over, and they're going to have this earthly kingdom, and they're going to rule over the Romans and everybody, and they want to sit at the right and the left hand of God when he does that. That's more than likely what they were thinking. At the very least, if they understood him at all, then they were thinking, hey, when you do come into glory, we want to be at your right hand and at your left. We want you to do for us whatever we ask you. But at the end of the day, when you see their answer, their heart was all about their own glory, not the glory of Jesus. 
They were self-focused and selfish in the way they came to him. And this is really important because I think it comes out of the fact that they had lost the wonder of the fact they got to be with Jesus at all. They took that for granted that they had been with him for years at that point, that they had been one of his closest people for all this time. They had seen all these amazing things. Jesus was speaking to them. Jesus had taken them in. And James and John are part of the three with James, John, and Peter. So it's like you got 12, they get lots of access. Then you have three that get super duper access. Three people saw the Mount of Transfiguration. Three people saw a girl raised from the dead when he kicked everybody else out of the room. There's these three, Peter, James, and John. So now you have the two out of the three guys who get the most access to Jesus. And they're coming up to him entitled, thinking they need more. Not hungry for more of Jesus, entitled for more position, more power, more prominence. And it comes out of a heart that had forgotten to be thankful that Jesus had chosen them in the first place. The heart of a servant, as I want us to see from this, is enjoyment, not entitlement. A servant approaches any situation with a spirit of gratefulness, not greediness. So the heart of a servant, we say, what is the, we're servants first. What's the heart of a servant is enjoyment, not entitlement. A servant approaches any situation with a spirit of gratefulness, not greediness. So when we approach church, when we approach work, when we approach one another, we're always coming out of a heart of enjoyment with God. We're always coming out of a grateful spirit before God. So that in our interactions with one another, they come out of a place of contentment. We are seeking to give, not to get, because we're full. This is so important for us. The natural way of men and women is to be entitled. What we get to get more It's not enough. But I think what we're seeing here is they had lost the wonder of being with Jesus. This is so important for us. For the health and the life of this church, your and my health of our personal relationship with Jesus is going to determine the health and the life of the church. Your personal walk with God matters for everyone else in this room. It matters for me, matters for them, matters for those sitting next to you. A church is not built, it is not, at least healthy, not built off a person's giftings or somebody being good on stage or anything like that. A church is built, when we said last week, everybody brings their break, the body builds itself up in love. One of the bricks we bring is this humility before one another to say, yeah, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to come at you with a place of gratefulness, not greediness. I'm seeking to give, not get. And that's only going to happen if you are close with Jesus in your personal life because it cannot be produced by your flesh. You and I are not like this. We can't force it into being. We might be able to fake it for a little while, but you can't manufacture this. It comes out of a deep, deep secret place with the Lord. And if you're not finding contentment in your own personal walk with Jesus, you will approach every gathering greedy, even if you come to serve. In your heart, you'll want to be known for what you're doing. You want to be seen because you're not content. Listen to me. If we lose our contentment, we will lose our calling, plain and simple. If we lose our contentment, we will lose our calling. The best way, the best way to be a servant of others is to be satisfied in Jesus. I'm just telling you, the sermon's not going to do it. Having structured the church not going to do it. The best way, the best way, the only way really for you to be a real servant of other people is to be satisfied in Jesus. For him to fill your cup. For you and I not to take for granted the fact that he has called us in the first place. To be so thankful that God would pull me out of the pit 
that he would use me at all, that he would give me the opportunity to know him and to approach every situation like, I can't even believe I'm alive. I can't believe I know Jesus. I can't believe he has called me. I can't believe he has gifted me. I can't believe he's with me. I can't believe he's guaranteed me eternity. I cannot believe that. I'm so thankful. So whatever, what I, what I got to do, you know, what can I do? And that's how we approach every situation. If we lose our contentment, I'm telling you, we're going to lose our calling. And this is something that us as a church can help equip one another and help each other. And that's the point. But at some point, you're going to have to decide by the power of the Spirit to pursue the Lord for yourself. To not need somebody else to prod you, to kick you, to tell you. That's why we're here. And I hope that we encourage one another. But if your whole relationship with Jesus is dependent on something outside of you and the spirit in you, you're coming up short on everything God wants for you. God wants to create that in you to say, I want to pursue the Lord and I'm going to go up and down and I'm going to have difficulties. So people are going to come. I'm going to hear sermons. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to meet together. We're going to start, and they're going to encourage me. And when I go down, I go up. And yeah, of course, you can't do that alone. But at some point in your own spirit and soul, you have to decide you want to be close to Jesus. You have to decide that you cannot have, you don't have what it takes. You can't bring something to this gathering if you're not full of Jesus. The same is true for me or anybody. It doesn't matter. So if we lose our contentment, we're going to lose our calling. As a church, we're going to lose our ability to be healthy and to serve and to love one another. We're going to be constantly asking these types of questions. And so this is really, this is just in my heart. I just want this for us. And I know I can't preach it into existence. And I know we can't structure the church to make it happen. And I know there's programs that can't do this. It'll happen if by the spirit of God in you, you begin to walk closely with Jesus. And if you decide that this is the most important thing in my life, and then we all come around you and say yes and amen. And we speak that into each other's lives. And so in terms of our role, one of the main things we've got to do for each other is make sure that we're all staying deeply connected to Jesus. How content are you in Jesus? That should be a question we ask a lot. What's your relationship with Jesus like? We're all about Jesus. And so we got to foster that. we got to foster that. It's got to come out of a place of contentment. So the approach. The second thing we'll see, there's two questions that are asked, one by them and one by God, or one by Jesus, one by them. The ask. So part one, Jesus says, now look, what do you want me to do for you? And I love this question. It's super revealing because Jesus is using this, I think, to speak directly to us. When I was preparing this, this question has stuck with me all week. I've shared it with many people. felt like the Lord was looking right at me saying, Nate, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And that was coming out. And I know he was just trying to get at, like he's trying to pull something out. Jesus already knows the answer. He doesn't need to ask the question. He's trying to bring it out of them to make it plain to them. He's bringing it out of them so he can address it. He already knows what's in their heart. He doesn't need to ask the question for himself. He's asking it for them. And so he asks us the same question, I really believe. If Jesus came here and he said, hey, looking at you like, what do you want me to do for you? And if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot in our heart that would be exposed in that moment. And there are a lot of answers I could give, you know, whatever. But I know, you know, it's like, Jesus, like, give me a big church, you know. <laughs> Make people respect my preaching. You know, maybe, you know, there's these things that's like, yeah, you want to grow, but then it's like, but people think I'm awesome if that happens. You know, it's like, Jesus, yeah, you know, and if you're in your heart, you're like getting to the depths of your heart. Jesus, like, what do we do for you? And how connected is your answer to the glory of God, to the good of people around you? How much of yourself is in your answer? And I think some of the best ways to know your answer is to look at the life you're already living. 
Look at the things you're already thinking. You might know the Jesus answer, and you might be able to give it. But when you look at your life, you look at what you're praying for, you look at what your desires are, what is your answer? If Jesus came here and looked you right in the eyes and said, what do you want me to do for you? What would your answer to that question be? He wants to draw it out. He wants to make it plain. He wants to address the things in our life that we desire glory for. He wants to create a servant heart in us. It's important to know Jesus is not asking this because he's mad at them, but because he loves them. He's not trying to corner them. He's trying to correct them. He's trying to help. He loves them so much. And you know he generally means this question. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus died for you. He has come and given you his Holy Spirit if you trust in him. He's with you. He means that question from an honest place. What do you want me to do for you? And he wants to save you, serve you, love you, take care of you. He means the question, but he knows what's in their heart. And so I want you to see Jesus' heart in this. He's trying to help them. And what we learn from Jesus is this. The first instinct of a servant is to seek the good of others. It's important. A servant asks, what can I do for you way more than what can you do for me? So you have first a servant's heart. What is the servant's heart? Well, it's this contentment in Jesus. It's enjoyment, not entitlement, gratefulness, not greediness. Well, what's the servant's instinct? What does the servant do? Well, how do they react and respond? Well, the first instinct of a servant is to always seek the good of someone else, to ask that question earnestly, what do you want me to do for you? A servant shows up to church and asks, what can I do for you way more than what can you do for me? A servant goes home to his wife and four kids and says, what do you want me to do for you instead of what can you do for me? A servant shows up at a house group or whatever, walks in and says, what can I do for you instead of what can you do for me? A servant shows up everywhere like that, and we're constantly basically fighting each other to serve one another. That should be the spirit and the attitude. It's like, I want to serve you. Let me serve you, you know? We're fighting for that. We say our first instinct. It's just our instinct. And once again, you know our first instinct is not this. So how does this come about? By your personal relationship with Jesus. That you would become content in him. You wouldn't need someone else to do something for you at that level because Jesus has done it for you already. And so now you can show up and say, hey, what can I do for you? So a servant practically asks. This is a question we should ask. You should evaluate your life. Which question do you ask more? What can I do for you way more than what can you do for me? Servant's first instinct is to serve the good of others. This is why in our pre-service rally chant, we get together at 9.30, we pray, or 9.15, we pray. We ask the Lord to bless it. We get together and huddle up and hurrah and get ready to go. One of the things we say every week is we are here to serve and not be served. It's important for us. This is who we are. This is what we believe. This is what our instinct needs to be. So we constantly have to say it every week to remind ourselves we're here to serve and not be served. We're here to serve and not be served. You should drive home and say that. You should drive to work and say that to yourself. You should drive everywhere you go. You show up to the lighthouse, boom, boom, boom. I'm here to serve and not be served. I'm here to serve and not be served. So the first instinct is to seek the good of others. So you have them now. Jesus asked that question. Now they ask a question. He say, they ask, hey, grant us to sit at your right hand and your left in your glory. Now, I love this. I'm going to go ahead and uh, flip to the bottom of this. The greatest desire of a servant is to glorify God alone. A servant asks, how can I bring attention to God and not myself? Now, you see in their question, I love this because it's a little tricky, because they're willing to admit that Jesus alone deserves the throne. And they are not trying to take his throne. They just want the highest place next to it. And this is the dangerous thing. I'm telling you, this is what I deal with this all the time. John the Baptist, you know what he says in John chapter 3? Those of you who know, it says, he must increase and I must decrease. 
Now, with a human heart, if you genuinely love God, I think you are totally okay with God being on the throne. But where our selfishness comes in, where our heart comes in, is that we want to be as high up as we can get with him. So yes and amen to Jesus increasing, but instead of me decreasing, why don't I just increase a little bit? Jesus increased a lot. I just a little bit. Just give me a little bit, you know? A perfect example of this, this is my own heart. I'm just being honest with you all today. It is saying, God, may you be glorified in my preaching, and may they all think I'm a great preacher. <laughs> and I just get both of I want both of those things, you know? May you be glorified? Yes, I didn't come here for me, but I also don't want to look like an idiot. So, you know what I'm saying? And so the, it's like, increase, but just bring me with you, you know? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. May they remember what a great sermon it was, you know? When the, the real thing is, man, Jesus is so increased, people forgot who even preached the sermon. They're like, whoa, yeah, I just remember what Jesus did. I have no idea who said it. No idea. I don't even remember. Now, that's the ideal. And just to give you a practical example of that, I think that plays itself out in all our lives where our prayer is, yes, Lord, and bring me up with you. Just a little bit. You're on the throne, but give us the right and the left. Leave the other ten dummies somewhere else, you know. They belong somewhere else, but we belong at the right and the left. We're the most important next to you. And I think we see a lot in their heart where it checks us and God says, do you really, really, really desire that I increase in such a way that creates your decrease? You become less so I can become more. And the heart of their question is, why don't you increase and bring us with you? And we know theologically Jesus is going to do exactly that. He's going to increase and bring all his people with him. And we're going to be there together around the throne where it's going to be flat. We're all going to be there together. So the greatest desire of a servant is to glorify God. A servant asks, how can I bring attention? I use the word attention particularly because it's more practical. Glory is a funny word. Attention. A servant asks, how can I bring attention to God and not myself? How can I make people think about God, point to God and not myself? So then Jesus answers. His next answer is uh, this answer part two. You do not know what you are asking. And you can preach a whole sermon on this. Sometimes that's God's response to your prayer request. He knows. <laughs> Some of you just need to be encouraged today that you've been asking the Lord certain things, and his simple response is you just don't know what you're asking. Because you can't, you are not able, as he's going to show them. You don't know what you're asking, and Jesus loves you, and as you see here, he's going to correct them gently. He's going to walk with them through it. We know Jesus died and rose again for you. He cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. We know that. So don't ever doubt whether God cares for you. But sometimes you're not seeing what you prayed for because Jesus knows better. And his response is this. You just don't know what you're asking. And I don't know how many times in my short little life I have looked back over things and said, thank you, Lord, that you didn't give me what I asked for. Thank you, Lord. Like, man, that would have been so messed up. And it might have taken longer to get where I wanted to go, but thank you, Lord, for the process you took me through. Thank you, Lord, for the fact you said no, the fact you said wait, the fact that you were there even though you weren't providing what I thought you needed to provide. Thank you, Lord, that you know better than I do. Thank you, Lord, that you don't give me whatever I want, just like we don't give our children whatever they want whenever they ask because we love them, not because we hate them. Jesus says, sometimes to some of you, this is the word from the sermon, Jesus loves you, he cares for you, but he knows better. And his answer to you is you just don't know what you're asking for. And he wants to take you through another way, a better way. He wants to give you a better answer. And he wants to provide for you in a way you're going to look back and say yes and amen. 
So you do not know what you're asking. Jesus knows. But then the next thing he says, that's his first answer. The next thing he says is not so with you. The world, he says, uses their authority to force people into their own way. Christians use their authority to free people to follow the way of Jesus. The world uses their authority and power to force. Christians, servants, use their authority and power to free. We come from under, not from over. Jesus says, man, this is just, those three words have been ringing in my mind. Not so with you, four words, not so with you. The world manipulates to get position and power, and then they use it for their own selfish interest. Not so with you. You're different. The world loves to be prominent, well-known, respected. Not so with you. You're different. The world needs these things to be content, but not so with you. You're different. You have Jesus. Not so with you. The world thinks this way, and you are, and I am, indoctrinated in this way of thinking 24 Seven. We need to be reminded a hundred times a day, not so with you. You saw it on the TV, but not so with you. You heard it on the radio, but not so with you. You listened to it on a podcast, but not so with you. Not so with you. And this is true, even uh, I am a, a Christian leader, right? I, I live in the sphere of leadership development. And a lot of times I get so sick of how the emphasis is on leadership development. We don't talk about being a servant. And I even have to remind myself as I'm listening to Christians talk about leading people saying, no, not so with you. They got that from the world. Not so with you. Not so with you. Not so with you. And you may be frustrated because people around you are using their authority to do this to you. People around you are manipulating their circumstances to get more prominence at work. People around you are lying, cheating, and finding their way up to the top. And you're wondering, what are you doing, Lord? And God looks at you and says, trust me, not so with you. Don't get caught up in the way they're doing it. Trust me. You're different. We're different. Not so with you, not so with you, not so with you, not so with you. The world does it one way, but not so with you. You have Jesus. So that's his answer, really. Is look what the world's doing. No, don't do that. What we learn from this is the life of a servant is countercultural. A servant knows the way up is down. This is so important. The way up is down. You just got to think backwards. A lot of times, good Bible reading is just knowing it's opposite day. Whatever you think, the Bible tells you to do the opposite. You should probably be pretty safe. The way up, you want to go up? Go down. You want to save your life? What do you do with it? Lose it. That makes a lot of sense, you know? It makes sense to Jesus. The way up is down. A servant, the life of a servant. So the heart of a servant, the heart of a servant is enjoyment, not entitlement. The instinct of a servant is to seek the good of others. The desire of a servant is to glorify God. The life of a servant is countercultural. He knows, a servant knows the way up is down. And so constantly reminding ourselves, the way up is down, the way up is down. So finally, the action. I love this. So verse 45, and this is where we'll close on. It says, Jesus ultimately took action for us. He says, even the Son of Man. So, hey, guys, live this way. And they got to be thinking, that sounds crazy. We're just going to get run over, walked over, all that stuff. Well, this is not, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, even the Son of Man, God himself came to be, not came to be served, but to serve. And to serve in a way where he gives his life, where he dies as a ransom for many. Jesus takes action, and he sets the example for us. I want to close on the following story. I love this right here. Just follow with me. Jesus is basically going to give us a snippet, a little story 
about what this looks like in real practical time with him. I think these two stories are connected very well. Verse 46, so they came to Jericho after all that. And he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting outside by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But his, he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And he said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, what a great sentence, take heart, get up. He has called you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what's the question? What do you want me to do for you? Same question, different group. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately... He recovered his sight, and he followed him on the way. I want you to see, we're going to take the same categories, approach, answer, ask, ask, action. And we're going to look at it in this story. Look at the approach. Instead of being entitled for glory, he is desperate for mercy. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. How does he approach Jesus, the desperate, not entitled, but desperate? And then Jesus' answer, I love this. Jesus is quick to give mercy. The whole crowd says, shut up, and Jesus says, call him. The whole crowd says you're not important enough for his attention. The whole crowd says you're annoying us, be quiet. And Jesus pierces through that and he says, call him. I want to talk to him. Jesus is quick to give mercy. Take heart, he is calling you. Another ask, you see this again, what do you want me to do for you? Same question, different context. The answer this time is not for glory, not for position, but for healing. Please let me recover my sight. Jesus gives him an answer. He says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And then the action is not Jesus now, but it's the man. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. And to close in this, the most important thing for all of us today, and for many of you, is to take action, much like this man, in following Christ. I love this story because he's sitting on the side of the road, desperate, blind, and broken, but Jesus passes by, and everything changes. And many of you came into this room desperate, alone, and broken. You're blind, and you can't see what's really there. You're frustrated, and you feel so disconnected from life, from purpose, you're broken and alone, and you walked into this church, and Jesus passed by. And he looked at you. He said, call him. He brought you here so he could tell you that. And all of us around you, I think we would agree, we look at you and we say, take heart, get up. He's calling you. Take heart. Jesus came to serve and not be served. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. He died and rose again so he could make you well. And for some of you, it's an answer to that call. Take heart. 
for everyone who knows that they're a follower of Christ. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the life he wants us to emulate. This is the way. This is what Jesus wants us to represent in this world on his behalf as borrowers, not owners of what he's given us. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus' name. We thank you that you took action for us. We thank you that you never asked us to be something you didn't represent for us in the first place. We thank you for who you are, Lord. And I just know, Lord, right now that there are people in this room who you are calling. And like all of us at one point, broken, alone, desperate, unsure of the future. And now you're walking by, you are in this room, you are presenting yourself to them, you're calling them. I just pray, Lord, that they would answer your call, that they would spring up, be healed from their sin, and follow you. And Lord, would you make us a servant people? Just make us like you. Lord, help us all to think this way, to be this way. May this church just be known for being a servant church. And Lord, would you create that in us. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.